0: Today, we're talking with Roy Chua, founder and principal at AvidThink, which is an independent research firm focused on infrastructure technologies, including IoT, SD-WAN, SDN, and of course, The Edge. Welcome to Living on the Edge, the network resilience podcast from OpenGear. I'm Steve Cummins, and I talk to IT thought leaders who are living on the edge of their network. Join us as we discuss business continuity, resilience, and all things networking. Roy, first of all, thanks for joining the podcast and sharing your views from the edge.
1: You are very welcome, and thank you for having me, Steve.
0: Roy, let's just uh, kick off. I know you started out in uh, various engineering and product roles within networking. Could you just describe briefly how you went from you know, being someone who was in front of the rack to now you know, looking out across the industry trends.
1: Yeah, I definitely can. Um, so, too long ago, very long ago, once upon a time, um, I started my networking career at Cisco, actually, and I was actually inside the rack because I was writing firmware. I was writing firmware to bring up a new ATM, where an ATM in networking stood for a synchronous transfer mode. That, that ancient times. And I thought that was going to be one of the hottest technologies, but it didn't quite pan out that way. But I was writing uh, firmware on a- Cisco's ATM interface processor, the AIP on the Cisco 7000 router for a new interface. Um, anyway, that's how I got my start in, in networking. And obviously, it, I started the same way many network engineers did, doing a lot of testing and you know lab work and stuff with uh, different protocols. And IP wasn't the only protocol back then. We still had to learn DAC-LAT and... Uh, and Apple Talk and IPS, SPX, and other protocols like that. So it was truly into networking. Uh, but anyway, what happened after that is I stayed in networking and the uh, network storage space for some time, moving from engineering into the the field and then into product management. Um, and I also did a stint at .com like many others. And along the way, worked for different companies helped found a few companies um, one was in network testing um, and that evolved into a, a product that uh, became eventually was acquired by aspiring communications layer 47 testing and so got to know a lot of network equipment in that job and the other one in uh, network identity management and authentication and that that company i uh, founded in in 2004 and unfortunately in 2008 uh, after we had raised 26 million, uh, we couldn't get our Series to see close because Lehman Brothers had collapsed. The market had collapsed, and uh, and it was unfortunate. Um, but uh, I I stayed around after the assets were sold off, uh, sold off to attempt to buy back, um, and that failed to do that. I was trying to get back my company, but in that process, I took on consulting VP of marketing, VP of products uh, positions. And eventually I teamed up with a friend and we started SDX Central uh, back in 2012. And, and SDX Central has had two lines of business and it was always, originally called SDN Central, Software Defined Networking. And it was very, very early. This was back in uh, 2012, February, when we launched the site. We had two li- main lines of business, one in the media news, uh, which is very well known, and uh, the other in research and analysis. And we started publishing reports at the end of 2013, on SDN and network virtualization. So it was quite early in the space. And then many years later, and many, many, many reports later, in the end of 2018, we spun the research group out of SDX Central into an independent company, which is Abbott, Think. Uh, while well, the media and news side stayed with uh, SDX Central. And so, so yeah, here I am running a small boutique research firm that covers the uh, the same infrastructure technologies that I started my career with.
0: Perfect. Thanks for running through the, the progression. Uh, I think everybody has a 2008 story that, that they may or may not want to tell. <laughs> nice to hear that yours got you moving in the right direction. Yep, exactly. So, so you mentioned SDX Central, yep. and you were certainly ahead of the curve looking at SDN and SD-WAN. Just give me your thoughts on the state of the SD-WAN industry now, particularly with everything that's happened with the pandemic.
1: Yeah, um, uh that SD-WAN term. So when we started, when when we started covering SD-WAN, there was still a debate as to what SD-WAN meant. And there was actually a competing definition for SD-WAN. And there was essentially the SDN controlled wide area network. So the, the use of SDN technologies for um, inter in, interconnects and and the bandwidth calendaring and and all the cool features that you could get by applying SDN to the WAN was what the SD-WAN could have meant. Uh, but instead, uh, it, it's come to mean what it is today, which is the enterprise edge as the series of technologies that, um, that control the enterprise edge connections, You know the WAN, the enterprise WAN so that like. So that was pretty early on. And it's evolved since and there's still somewhere in the 60 to 100 uh, players, obviously, probably 10 to 15 that are that are interesting. And and it's it's I would say that where we're seeing right now with SD WAN today is a couple of, of elements. SD WAN has evolved itself as well. And one of the things that is pretty popular right now, because uh, Gartner coined a turn, the S Sassy, right? So uh yeah. And what Gardner did with SASE, which is just as well-known a term now, is to combine essentially SD-WAN with a whole bunch of other edge technologies within the enterprise. A lot of those are all security capabilities. And and then, you know, by doing that, created an umbrella term that included SD-WAN, but taking a much more cloud-first approach to it. So what we're seeing, uh, a couple of things with SD-WAN. First is... um, There are some branch-focused SD-WAN companies that are struggling slightly. So when COVID hit with the pandemic, everyone ran away from the offices, right? And so you had a bunch of branches and headquarters that are are very lightly staffed today. And so the need and the urgency to turn on SD-WAN in some of those places uh, slowed down. But I think that will pick up. And instead, what happened is that the SD-WAN players that were cloud-first and more focused on SASE, uh, are doing very well. I have talked to some of those, and they've seen amazing uh, amazing growth in their, their sign-ons during the last couple of months. I mean, it's quite compelling, right? You, if, you, uh, if you have a solution that's software-centric that you can enable for your employees working from anywhere, working from home, that gives them secured access to the internet in, in, compl- in compliance with corporate policies, Definitely quite useful. Plus, some of those offerings provide you with a quick on-ramp to the internet and then and a private internet backbone that gives you fast access to SaaS services, right? your Salesforce, your Dropbox, your Box. And so that was quite a compelling uh, capability. And so those vendors, in fact, have, have done very well. And my expectation is that as a vaccine hopefully becomes available or viable in the next 6 to 18 months, they will see a shift to hybrid models. So you see you know, a mix of work from home, a mix of work from anywhere and, and, and some will head back to the office. I think many of us are realizing. So two things. One is that some things remarkably can be done remotely and, and many things as well uh, need to be done are more, are more effective in person. So I think we'll see that hybrid model. So in that situation for the SD-WAN vendors, I think the cloud-centric approach is here to stay. I don't see a, a change in that and SD-WAN will evolve along those lines. But along with that, the trends that we see, which is beyond the cloud first, I would say security-centric, the ability of SD-WAN to reach into the branch, so SD branch, adding mobile support, IoT support, multi-cloud support, I think those will not change. Those are the key evolutionary areas for SD-WAN and SASE, and that will continue.
0: You know, it's funny. We've been talking about hybrid for years, Never thought it would be applied to two days in the office, and <laughs> two days working from home, <laughs> but that that seems to be the way things are going. And
1: It's redefinition of hybrid thanks to uh, COVID-19,
0: exactly. Spoken like a true analyst. <laughs> the, the other thing it tells me is I'm glad I didn't go into commercial real estate as a career. I think uh, IT is, is the place to be. You know,
1: I mean... Uh, for a while, people were looking at the net- and networking as sort of pretty much done and not exciting. And then SDN came along and ah, it's pretty exciting and all that. And I think now with the pandemic, I think a huge realization that telecommunications is critical. It's really important. So, so it, it's good news for network engineers. I think it's a good thing for
0: us. Absolutely. Yep. I think the importance of the network is is definitely coming to the fore. Um, so in your role at Avid I Think, Obviously, you, you pay attention to what's happening now, but I know a large part of what you do is look out into the future. So from an infrastructure point of view, what's, what are the changes you see coming over the next few years?
1: Yeah, so I'll, I'll start with the easy part, which is the physical portion of it, and then we'll go from there up, up the stack, I think. So as we think get more sophisticated with application and data distribution and orchestration, and as network bandwidth to the edge increases, right, across wireline, wireless, with all the efforts around fiber densification, right, so you've got 5G, you've got all these other elements, of connectivity, you've got maybe low-Earth orbit satellites coming. My expectation is that compute will be more distributed, right, so compute and storage will be more distributed, and there'll be multiple locations. And you want to call it the edge, you want to call it the distributed cloud, and matter what you call that is connectivity is pretty much getting everywhere. And the speed of that connectivity is increasing, and so the capabilities of what you can do with that sort of matrix, if you will, right? That I think will will increase. And in many ways, I think the same thing that had happened on enterprise campuses, uh, which for the most part moved to wireless. You, you very seldom plug into an RJ forty five. You know, at a desktop worksta- you know, a desktop uh, workstation type approach. Um, you, you take your laptop, you move around. So enterprise campuses have moved to wireless. And I think, you know, we'll see something similar in many cases on the last mile side of things as well, right? And uh, similarly, I think for a lot of industrial applications, we'll also see a a transition from wired to wireless. And so what was served by an industrial Ethernet potentially could be served by wireless technologies, particularly Mobile technologies in terms of you know, private LTE, you know, and private 5G, and especially in the US with CBRS and, and the new spectrum models, um, I think we'll see that coming sort of at the connectivity, the fiscal layer. And slightly above that, I think as a result of that infrastructure topology change, then we'll see this distributed co- this need for distributed compute and storage infrastructure-wise to sort of go everywhere. And you have to connect that. So from a networking perspective, you have to have some kind of secure fabric throughout that provides you with the visibility that provides you with, you know, obviously the connectivity, but also the security and uh, across all these things, right? the ability to manage QoS, the ability to troubleshoot. So I see sort of that secure access, enterprise access layer across all these locations as being one of the key things that we'll be focusing on. And at, at everything we made up a term, just to make fun of it, we called it FUN, which is the fabric for universal networking. So we could have called it universal networking fabric, but UNF didn't quite have the same impact. So uh, so anyway, we. Uh, but I think that layer becomes very important. And I think SASE and SD-WAN and ZTNA, Zero Trust Network Access and all these things all fall into that category. So I think that part is is is, is critical. And then, you know, beyond that, you have obviously compute and storage. And so the infrastructure technologies underlying that will be a lot of orchestration, right? So this, this, yeah, how do you orchestrate workloads? Where do you place your workloads? How do you break your workloads up in, in terms of application and dispute them the right way? What kind of services should you have in those locations in terms of, you know, obviously compute and storage, but beyond that, upper layer stuff in terms of telemetry, logging, in terms of database technologies, uh, in terms of AI, ML. I see that evolution in terms of distributed compute. So, If you take Amazon and Azure or Google, those capabilities, I think, will end up getting distributed everywhere, and there'll be a lot more focus on what runs where. So placing workloads, placing portion of workloads, orchestrating them, and enabling the overall system to, to be resilient. I think that's what I do see coming.
0: So the main thing I got out of that is that you're trying to bring the fun back into networking, <laughs> is that right? <laughs> so that that was foundation underlying the network?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's the foundation. I think that, you know, the fun, the fun is what sits on top of the network. It's, it's, it's where, you know, it's, it's, if you go up one layer of abstraction, you get, you get to have fun.
0: I like it. I like it. Um, so you right at the end there, you mentioned the word resilience. So this is the network resilience podcast. Maybe you can just expand on that a little bit in terms of you know how you see that definition of network resilience developing.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll actually probably take a layman's definition of it in terms of network resilience and and I I'll define it simply as the ability to ensure that your network infrastructure is able to stay up no matter what. So it it, it just stays up. And that's the ability to function in the face of adversity, right? So, you know, whether your networks is facing physical challenges like natural disasters taking down your network or or fires burning up, you know, that that uh, in-the-ground fiber, right? Things like that. Or it, it could be hardware failure, right, of your devices. Hardware does fail. Or perhaps it could be not hardware-related, but it could be just an overlooked condition. It's just too much traffic. Can the network stay up in, in, in light of too much traffic? All software failures, the, the, the software that we put on those network devices do fail. And sometimes um, no matter how hard you try, you get into a weird situation with your software and it's got to be restarted. Or even configuration failures, right? So the human failures, or whether it's you know, immediate failure upon you know a configuration, an immediate mistake, or an inadvertent mistake, you know, you put some configuration in place that doesn't uh, trigger until some weird set of conditions happens and then and suddenly, you know, traffic doesn't flow. So I think the goal of the network is to be able to be as reliable as possible, but sometimes failure happens. And so the ability to recover quickly to a good known state, you know, as fast as possible, I think that's important and I, I view that as resilience. You know, you know that failure will happen and and you obviously want a network to be reliable so you do want network reliability but at the end of the day you know that bad things happen and when it happens you need to recover quickly and that is network resilience
0: that makes sense um as we're obviously seeing a lot more being pushed out to the edge are you seeing that drive a a change in how network resilience is considered by enterprises yeah i think you know
1: as as people are pushing more and more things out to the edge I think you know there there is already a concept of compute or server resilience, right? The ability to to try to get systems up, and and the way we architect software today is to actually plan for failure, so the applications stay up no matter what. If you look at some of the architectural changes on the application side, with the use of uh, microservices, with with the use of containers, right, and and to try to make things less stateful, to contain state and in a constrained environment that you can control, you can replicate, um, you can make sure it stays up. So so I'm seeing those changes, obviously, on the compute side. And I think on the network side, we'll see the same. We'll see, I think, a, a realization that as you push things out to the edge, that you have to account for the fact that things will fail and you need to be able to recover. Well, Obviously, you need visibility in those failures first and foremost, but when that, after that happens, you need a fast way to recover as well. So I do see enterprises starting to pay attention to that. More, more and more. And with COVID-19, I think it, there's a realization that sometimes you don't have hands locally and remote hands have to do it. And if you can automate that, if you can detect that, if you can keep it up, it's even better.
0: So there was a couple of phrases you used in there that that really scream NetOps. Um, you mentioned containers and remote hands and automation. Yep. How do you see NetOps changing the way networks are managed?
1: Yeah, uh, so... I think for me, it's the, the old, you know, I used to get down on the console on the CLI, right? And you type the first thing you did on the Cisco thing was, you know, you, you go in there and you say enable, enable passwords. And the first thing you do is write terminal, you know, WR space T, right? So you shorten C, the config running across, and then you go at it and change it. And that was the way we manage networks. And it's a one to one situation. And that doesn't work at, at the scale we're talking about across the locations we're, we're talking about. It, I, I see, I think what's happening on a the, on the network operation side is, is automation, the ability to scale operations and gain efficiencies, right? So the first thing is automate the things you are doing by hand. But beyond that is you want to manage your network infrastructure as code, right? So the same thing as, as we saw sort of on the cloud sti- side of things, right? With templates, uh, with, with heat templates and the like, bringing up an entire application you know, across compute and storage we need the same thing on the network side to manage network infrastructure as code, templatize them. And then beyond that, understanding that networks are complex and there's a lot of variables, especially going forward, it may have to be simplified even further to take an intent-based approach to say, look, fundamentally, I want to connect these workloads in the following ways uh, and be compliant and hear your constraints. Go do it for me. And there should be sufficient intelligence on the system to be able to do that. And so, I think I classified those whole that that whole group of of uh, uh, capabilities as, as net ops and and I think eventually I think part of net ops will be the use of telemetry you know feedback loops and to use that to start building sort of ai assist capabilities within that uh, that realm
0: as well so the way you talk about that suggests that the skill set for a typical network engineer is going to need to change to adapt to that. Any thoughts on, or are you seeing some of that happening already?
1: Yeah. So I think uh, I would say that, you know, I wouldn't say we're we're slightly behind, but on the networking side, because I started my life as a network engineer, but I, I would say that in, very often we do look to the compute side to, to see what things are happening, and then we adapt best practices, right? And sometimes they're relevant, sometimes they're not. In many cases, they are. So if you look at what we did in networking, we looked at compute, Compute went virtual, storage went virtual, and we're like, oh yeah, maybe the network can go virtual as well, right? So we copied that. We looked at DevOps, and we say, hey, maybe NetOps or NetDevOps, you know, may be a thing, and we are on the journey to to make that a, a reality as well. And on resilience, right? So on that NetOps, network resilience. Um, I think we can take a look at something that Google uh, popularized called site reliability engineering. So this was back in the early 2000s. And and this was even before DevOps, right? And what Google was trying to do was to make their large-scale infrastructure more reliable. And so it started out being sort of an operations role. And then they realized that if you put engineers in it, that they could automate it for themselves. So the goal, obviously, was to code yourself out of the equation, essentially, right? Because good engineers, good engineers, you know, tend to want to be efficient. I would not use the word lazy. Some people, some people use that. I use the word they want to be efficient with the time. And so the goal is to automate as much as you can um, using code. And so this concept of a site reliability engineering or SRE became a, a full-fledged uh, um, domain in and of itself within IT, right? It's uh, and it's it's an important role at all the major hyperscalers and companies now do it. And so it's basically the ability to use a platform, to use automation, to use a, a sort of intent-based framework or a config-based or template framework to drive reliability. And obviously, we could use the same thing on the resiliency side as well. So SRE SRT teams are responsible in general for availability reducing latency, the overall performance efficiency, right, change management, monitoring, all those things, right, with regard to a site. And I think, you know, there could be the same role for network resilience engineers, right? So the evolution of NetOps, if you will, who perhaps start as network operations to begin with, but by using, you know, coding and automation and software to improve, first, the reliability, and secondly, the resiliency of the network infrastructure. And And I see the same thing. So I think, those things will happen going beyond automation, infrastructure or network infrastructure as code, template-based deployments, and then, you know, intent-based network configuration, and eventually, um you know, AI-assisted, right? So that's the evolution I see.
0: That's an interesting trend. So you're seeing it move from a, a DevOps team to then adding a, a cyber-liability team, and then you think maybe beyond that it'll be network resilience and, and perhaps… To focus more on the broader distributed network and then still a layer of network engineers to to do the day to day work?
1: I would say probably it wouldn't be at the simple day to day, but obviously that you have ongoing troubleshooting. But I think that the ratio of network engineers to network elements will will change dramatically by order and, and order or orders of magnitude. And so it'd be assisted. So yes, you probably will still need uh, network engineers to come in and help troubleshoot. But I think the vast majority of the uh, the capabilities in the work eventually could be could be automated. But you will need, I would say, it, uh, the human eye. There's a lot of things that that are still hard to train AIs to do. And I think I would I would view it as sort of human assisted. So the hard problems I think human assisted. But resiliency, some of those components I think could be automated. To say you look, you know if this fails and that fails, then take this action or take that action, right? All oh, the system could learn. Like we're seeing with, with ML, machine learning systems, in fact, as the network goes down, they see the, the network engineer, the net ops engineer, take the following steps. And over time, it'll it'll learn to figure out, it says, oh, if that goes down, then I do this. Or if that goes down, then I do this, right? So I think that there's going to be that uh, that ongoing evolution over the next couple of years.
0: And that lines up with the idea that, Networks are becoming more complex. You obviously need more complex tools and and organisations mm-hmm. to manage them. So mm-hmm. that definitely seems Correct. to to be heading in the right direction. Correct. Uh, just changing yeah, tax here a little nice. bit. Um, mm-hmm. Part of the uh, the goal of the network resilience podcast is to highlight the value of the network engineering community. So just curious, is anyone in your past? you know, a mentor, an influencer that, that you'd just like to give a, a hat tip to and, and sort of, uh, you know, raise them up a little?
1: Yeah, so I, I think, you know, on a network engineering side, you know, there are, uh, I would say, um, there isn't sort of one person in particular. I've worked with a lot of great people over the years. But I would say that on, on the analyst side, interestingly enough, uh, there is someone I do respect and we try to run... On principles that that are sort of similar to his, and it's it's uh, so there is a there is a company called Infonetics Research that's part of IHS Market, very famous, uh, very large uh, company today. But the founder of Infonetics was a guy called Michael Howard, and uh, he was a very well known analyst in the telecoms and the the networking industry. And he he always I think he 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 was he was great because he always tried to. Fine and dig through you know all the fluff and to try to get to the heart of things and but he was able to do so in a very nice way and i thought that uh, so his approach was always very pleasant uh very mm-hmm. very polite very thoughtful and um he was I, th- I think he was one of the greatest the great analysts that that, that we had and I, I I would see him at all the different trade shows and you know and talk to him and he was always very kind and and I think that's the same way we run our practice here. But um, he was well known in networking and I think you know we aspire to to carry on that 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 same that same culture, the same tradition that, that that he had.
0: Very good. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, so I know at Avid, Thank you. Always producing a lot of good material. It's always top of my reading list. You mentioned in our call prior to this that you're working on a couple of new resource sites for SD-WAN and the Edge. Can you just give us a little background on that?
1: Yep, we are. Abbott Think is primarily sort of uh, research and we partner with Jim Carroll, well-known publisher at Converge Network Digest. He's been running a newsletter for the last 20 years. It's quite well known in the networking industry as well. And together, we have uh, we put up a resource site called NextGenInfra.io. So that's Next Generation Infrastructure, but obviously we shortened it. So it's NextGenInfra.io. And on that site, we try to cover key technologies areas across infrastructure technologies. Um, and we have interviews with well-known luminaries and thought leaders in the space. And we're launching the 2020 edition of our SD-WAN and SASE site in Q4 this year. And so if, uh, if if you'd like to uh, get a flavor for the type of research and the content that we have, go to nextgeninfra.io and check out some of the cool resource sites already up there. Download the reports and we'll be sure to let you know when the uh, SD-WAN and SASE resource site is up. And we're definitely looking forward to it. It's been a lot of change in the last year and pretty exciting space for sure.
0: Perfect. And we'll put those links in the show notes for anyone that wants to go there and take a, a look at that. Any other uh, resources, Roy, outside of Avid, think that um, you find useful and you think uh, you know, listeners to the podcast might find a good resource as well?
1: I go to the mainstays for, for my news, so the usual suspects, right? Fierce Wireless, Fierce Telecom, um, light reading, certainly, sometimes RCR Wireless. And, and then on the, cl- on the cloud stuff, I go to the News Stack. And then, of, of course, I, I visit SDX Central, um, certainly. And then for podcasts, um, I actually like, uh, I like Greg Farrow and Ethan Banks. We've had uh, lots of chat over the years. See them less because there's no h- conventions and, mm-hmm. and conferences. Uh, but, but Greg and Ethan always do a good job and, and the rest of the folks over there at packet pushes do a good job. And, and finally we've collaborated with Stephen Foskett in the past and he runs a, a good operation with Tech Field Bay. There's always good content there that I, I like to check out. So. Those are the places I tend to go to on a regular basis.
0: Perfect. Thank you. I'm sure that'll that'll help some people. I, I agree. I'm a big fan of the tech field day. Been involved yep. in some of those. Yep, Steven and team do a do a
1: good job of uh, of covering very pertinent content. I like I like that stuff.
0: So before we wrap up here, if people want to know more about Avid Think, where would they go for that? I'm I'm assuming it's Avidthink.com, is that right?
1: It is Avidthink.com. It's A V-I-D-E-H-I-N-K-1 word.com. Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Wire Roy, W-I-R-E, Wire, like the Wire Roy, just my first name. So, so yeah, check us out, download our reports. And if you have any comments, you are always, always open to hearing from our readers. Um, you can always reach us at research at avidthink.com. And that's, um, we'll, we'll get back to you within a day, usually.
0: Well, perfect. Roy, I'd like to thank you again for taking part in Living on the Edge, the Network Resilience podcast and all of the links that Roy mentioned will be in the show notes and I would encourage you to reach out to Roy and and have a conversation with him he's he's always a good guy to talk to so thanks very much Roy and we'll talk to you soon
1: you're very welcome Steve and enjoy the conversation as always
0: you've been listening to Living on the Edge the network resilience podcast from OpenGear to add resilience to your network in data centers and out to the edge visit OpenGear.com